So, we recently wrapped up the first leg of the Queer Money Live Tour, and we are feeling great about it. It was awesome to meet people face-to-face rather than trying to connect with our community solely virtually. So many were surprised and thankful that the message of financial security for our community was coming from within our community. John and I are happy that we have this opportunity. So there are three common themes that came out of each tour stop. We went as far south as Charleston, West Virginia, to small towns or areas like Hatboro, Pennsylvania, and as far north into the big one of the biggest cities in the country, New York City. So that's what we're going to be covering on today's Queer Money podcast. Here at Queer Money, we want to help build a financially strong LGBT community. If you do too, help us spread the word of financial empowerment for our community by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Before we start, we want to give a special shout out to our Queer Money podcast sponsor, Capital One, who also sponsored two of the stops on the Queer Money Live Tour and helped us reach 10 times the number of people that we would otherwise have reached. So thank you, Capital One and Capital One Cafe, for your support of the Queer Money Live Tour. Their support has helped us be able to deliver this message for free to many LGBT centers. We cover all of the topics that I've just mentioned in the main part of the show, but it's clear to us that more in our community need to complete what we call the credit card interest rate reality check. So many of us have no clue what our credit card debt is costing us, both in dollars and quality of life. So download the credit card interest rate reality check at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 164. Again, that's the credit card interest rate reality check at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 164. Now, let's get on with the show. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So since about the middle of May, we have been on what we're calling the first leg of our Queer Money Live Tour. And what the Queer Money Live Tour was, and is, I guess, if if you're not familiar (laughs) with, is David and I wanted to find a way that we could actually reach our community and meet more people face-to-face. Um, you know, we do a lot of our, our work is virtual. We do a lot of, you know, we're obviously podcasters. We do Facebook uh, lives. We have our Facebook, Queer Money Facebook group. Uh, we do a lot of on social media. But that seems to be very one-way dialogue. And, and we wanted to connect with our community in a much better way. And so we put together what we call the Queer Money Live Tour. And we're able to visit several LGBTQ centers and a couple of other locations throughout this leg of the tour between May and July um, that let us connect with the community. And the reason we had to pretty much focus on the Northeast was because much of this tour was self-funded, save for our stop in Washington, D.C., as well as one of our stops in New York City, sponsored by Capital One. Much of this tour was self-funded, so we had to do what was within the realm of possibility. But our idea here was really to connect with our community and get our community talking more about money. We've noticed in the five years that we have been blogging and podcasting and speaking about LGBTQ finance, that our community, the queer community, seems to be pretty far behind other 
communities when it comes to talking about money. Clearly, straight white people got it going on. They figured it out. (laughs) The infrastructure is created for them. Um, So many of us are trying to catch up. And as we discussed during this tour, the African-American communities, particularly the African-American women community, are doing an amazing job really getting their community talking about money. And David and I thought, you know, how can we try to use their model as a template to get our community talking about money? And that was pretty much the impetus for the Queer Money Live tour. Right. Yeah, we, John and I have been a little surprised on a regular basis how topics that seem to be very common amongst our friends, especially individuals who are straight, or uh, some of our acquaintances or family, topics that they seem to talk about or come up semi-regularly are things that we know that very few in our community talk about. It seems like whenever we go to a cocktail party, everyone would rather talk about either intimate things. R- well, intimate things, <laughs> or they want to talk about where they're going on vacation, or they talk about work. They people really don't talk much about their financial goals, their financial life, and in some cases, I, I think that in the non-LGBT community have some inhibitions in talking about that, but it's clear that there's a lot more information being presented to them. And so that's part of the reason why we started with the tour is we need to get this out into our community. We cannot, just like we needed to come out as individuals to empower ourselves to improve our lives, just as as a community, we needed to come out and get support from allies we as individuals have to come out about our money. We have to start talking about it. If we don't start integrating it into our lives, then it gets pushed to the back of our mindset and our subconscious and in our consciousness, and we just don't do anything about it to improve it. Exactly. And David and I believe for a number of reasons, both our uh, personal experience, as well as the experience that we have with the people who we work with, that really the launch pad to start improving yourself financially as an individual, as a couple, as a community, is talking about money. And for some reason, our community is very adverse to talking about money. We've said this on other shows before. We haven't, I don't think we've said it on the Queer Money podcast, but our community is obsessed with what we call the three Ps, and that is politics, pop culture, and uh, five letter words that rhymes with weenus. <laughs> we will talk about all three of those topics ad nauseum uh, without any inhibition, but we will not talk about money. There's a lot of emotions that are tied to money, and we also believe, I think, especially as we've learned from this tour, so many in our community identify with appearing fabulous. They want to put on the airs that they're fabulous. And if they start talking about the truth of their financial situation, it's pretty obvious that most of us, at least financially, aren't doing so fabulously. Right. Or I think that there's a there's a segment in our community, and we especially know this from some of the people that we've worked with, that they have gotten very comfortable living in a mental state and a physical state that is oftentimes equates to financial weakness and maybe even a scarcity or poverty mindset. And they feel like there's a certain maybe champion about being that, that they can be the ultimate victim or the ultimate individual because they don't appear rich. And that's another thing that I think our, commu- our community struggles with. Yeah. So I, th- I think we really need to dive into kind of these. So these what are the re- three things we learned, right. Mr. Ottenshire? Right. Well, that's, I think we were starting to drift into that. <laughs> there were 
three themes that really kind of came through when we were not only talking, when we were doing our talk and watching the audience, and then the feedback when we started talking with the audience during the presentation, and especially afterwards, these three themes came up. And it in some ways validates a lot of the things that John and I talk about, but at the same time, it surprised us, right? Because, you know, when, when, when we're the only ones talking about it, or very few of us are talking about it, there aren't a whole lot of stories to validate the information or the feelings that we have based on our knowledge. So, the first one that we were, I guess, pleasantly surprised, but it's unfortunate that this is how it's happening, because the reason I say pleasantly surprised is because this is a portion of the talk that John and I really feel is vital to our community and something that we absolutely felt that many in our community are struggling to fit in because they feel like they have to make up for something in their past or they're carrying some sort of limiting belief with them based on things that have happened to them in the past. And it was really interesting. I stood and talked with a young gentleman about this whole idea of why it is or how it is that our feelings about ourselves trick us into believing that spending on ourselves is actually in some ways the best self-care that we can give. That yes, it's important to take care of ourselves, but is that taking care of ourselves actually causing financial stress? So, you know, that would be like going and getting a massage but then immediately after that, doing some sort of exercise routine or workout or uh, strenu somehow straining your body to completely eliminate that massage, right? So the self-care in some cases is being undone by the fact that then we're causing ourselves financial stress. And here's an example of this. When we were talking to one young individual, they were talking about spending something recently a significant amount of money, $600 on something. To say it, a pair of and, boots. Right. It was a pair of red bottom shoes. This person is a performer. And they said to me that they didn't know how they were going to pay for them. They didn't have a steady income. They don't have steady income. They purchased these on a credit card and they bought them because they felt like they needed to have them as a performer. It would make them a better performer or they felt like they would be a better person. And when I looked at them, I said, is it possible that you could take them back? <laughs> and the look that I got was one as if I had three heads. <laughs> it was just baffling to this individual that it was possible for them to undo something that they had already done. But what was so interesting was the underlying feeling and discussion around why they purchased these. Because they felt like they needed to be a better performer. They needed to show off um, that they had these particular shoes. But it, it isn't just that. There's a lot of other aspects uh, that we saw this happening. Individuals feeling like they needed to purchase certain things or live a particular lifestyle, live in a certain part of town or have a certain type of job that made them feel better about themselves because of something that that they didn't feel good about in the past. Yeah, we, we've talked about this on episodes before that so many of us have these attachments to 
things, whether it's the need to have the right kind of clothing or the need to put on certain airs about ourselves or the need to have a certain job title or the need for everybody to know exactly how much money we make or the need for even alcohol and drugs. We have all of these different attachments that by and large are really masking pain. And sometimes we don't even know how they're masking the pain or even how much pain we're feeling. But it's only until we lose access to those attachments do we realize that we're really making up for something. We're trying to fill a void in our life. And, you know, we've talked about our time in, in Colombia when we were struggling ourselves or we didn't realize how many attachments that we still have, even though we thought we'd sort of overcome our struggles because we overcame our financial challenges. But many of us like we said during the tour, many of us have come from times and places when it wasn't okay to be gay, and some people are still experiencing that today. And so we grow up with society, our local communities, our churches, maybe even our parents, either directly or indirectly telling us that if or because we're LGBTQ, that we're inherently bad. Right. And if you're learning that from you know infancy until you're able to move out on your own, you can't help but carry these negative or limiting beliefs about yourselves into adulthood. And then by and large, in many parts of the country today, especially the 30 states where there are no LGBTQ protections, we're still treated as second-class citizens. So many of us are trying to make up for our childhoods or are trying to overcome the appearance of today of being a second-class citizen by saying, oh, I've got these red-bottom shoes. I am validated. I am worth it because I've got these red-bottom shoes. Or I am validated or I am worth it because I've got a fancy car or a job title or I've got a, a partner or whatever the case may be. And, and what we need to try to get ourselves to is to believe and understand that Regardless of whatever attachments we have, whether we're married or not, whether we have children or not, whether we have the career or the job title that we aspire to, none of that really matters. We are worthwhile despite whatever outward appearances might look like, and we need to get ourselves to believe that. And so many of us struggle to actually believe that, which is what was somewhat validating in terms of confirming our beliefs. David and I knew this about ourselves and with some of the people that we've worked with. But during this tour, it was very interesting. So many people coming up to us saying, I never thought about how my childhood was having an adverse effect on my adulthood, especially with my spending. I don't have a drug problem. I don't have an alcohol problem, but I do have a spending problem. And I didn't realize that that could be part of the reason for my spending problem. Right. It, and it was interesting how some people were very open with telling us you know, one individual just looked at us flat out and said, I have $40,000 in credit card debt and I have a spending problem. I really need your information. It was interesting. But you know, one of the things I want to kind of drift back to is really when it comes down to it, as human beings, the thing that we all crave, the thing that we all absolutely want is that we want to be a part of something. We want to be recognized by individuals. We want to be affirmed by individuals. And especially, we want to find love and the multiple forms of love. There's love in the brotherly sense or sisterly sense. And then there's love in the partner or husband, wife, spouse sense. And I think that we, especially as LGBT individuals, crave that so much. We crave this wanting to be adored by individuals that we go above and beyond in trying to prove to people that we are lovable. 
you know, that we, I remember sitting in a psychology class when I was in college and I didn't realize this at the time, but my professor asked us at the very beginning of the semester, what is your biggest fear? And I said, my biggest fear was I didn't think that I could ever be loved. And the reason I said that, you know, looking back, I think I know that the reason I said that was because I didn't love myself because I had been told over and over and over again by my family, by my church, by people around me, by society, that I wasn't a lovable person because I didn't fit in. And that carried forward into, manifested itself in a lot of different actions. And one of those was spending. Yeah. I, I think we kind of see this a lot in what I call the the super gays, right? We've got these typically cis gay men who have all the muscles. They uh, have the six-figure careers. They've got the job titles. They go to all the fundraising events. They, by all outward appearances, have everything going on. And it's almost as if... And there's nothing wrong with seeking success. And there's nothing wrong with trying to be the best version of yourself can be. But the, I think the question is you have to understand what right. is the true motivation for all of this? Right. Is it truly coming from a place of this is who I authentically am? This is the contribution I want to make to the world? Or are we trying to make up for something in the past? Right. But but it's not just, you know, I, I think that a lot of times we stand back and can point our fingers easily at the ones that we think are the shining examples of that. So we may point to the A-list gays or the super gays, but there are other segments within the LGBT population that are doing the exact same thing. You have the outdoorsy ones, the individuals who are the sporty ones, and they aren't out in the quote-unquote scene, but they are regular in all the LGBT sports leagues. They have all of the gear. They're also trying to be impressing. They're trying to impress that community and may do things or spend in a manner that is adversely affecting them just so to, they can impress that group. Right. Or you may have the quote unquote granola lesbians who have to have all of the different versions of Birkenstocks and have to have <laughs> the Subaru and have to have, you know, three cats and four dogs. And they're taking on all of these other things so that they can prove to everyone that they are the archetype of that particular small group or segment. Right. So that we actually fit in. We're all right. seeking validation. I right. think basically what it comes down to is that we're all seeking validation. And I think what's important for us to figure out is why are we seeking that validation? Is it coming from a healthy space? Because very often it can manifest itself into something negative. Right. If you're not having any negative consequences, then there may not actually be anything to address. But it's a, it's a healthy question to ask. Right. So we could probably talk about number one ad nauseum. Right, we can. <laughs> so the second thing that we learned during the tour is that so many people in our community have almost accepted that financial security and specifically credit card debt is just typically the way of life. Is that and it's not. Right. It's so unfortunate that, that that's happened and because it doesn't have to be that way. We, we, we've gotten pushback on this on social media before where people are just like, everyone has debt. Everyone has credit card debt. You just need to accept it. But then on the flip side, people will also respond, if you can't manage credit cards, then don't have them to begin with. So we get a lot of hate either way. But basically what we're trying to address is, is the idea that if you feel like financial insecurity is, is just the norm and that might actually stem from coming from a lineage of perpetual financial insecurity. A lot of us came from families who came from families who came from families where 
feeling financial insecurity was just a way of life. Right. And so we, we've kind of adopted that as the truth when it actually does not have to be the case. And this frustrates people when we say it every single time. But for most of us, say for a percentage, most of Small us percentage. have a spending problem. We don't have an income problem. We know of people who do and have earned less than $40,000 a year and have an amazing quality of life and have all the financial security in the world. And zero uh, debt. And zero debt. So it's it's not always the fact that you have an income problem. Again, there is a percentage of the population where that's the case. But for most of us, and only we can really assess that truth for ourselves, for most of us, it's, it's because we're spending inappropriately or against our own financial security. But neither financial insecurity nor debt, specifically credit card debt, have to be a way of life. You can overcome that. Uh, we are examples of it ourselves. We know of many people who we've worked with or who have helped themselves or worked with other people who have been able to turn both of those negative perceptions around and therefore change their lives. Right. Um, I think what's interesting is that we're working especially with a small group of individuals in the credit card payoff course right now who I know that combined with this group, it's at least, you know, since January, it's at least twenty, twenty-five, maybe even thirty thousand dollars has been paid off because these individuals started to recognize that they didn't have to have the debt if they made some small changes in their lives. And they're willing to make those changes now. And they're starting to experience the value of getting rid of that debt, how much more freedom that they have in their lives, or are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's part of it is, right, we, we become so, especially I think for students today getting out of college, they just automatically assume that the way of life is, I'm going to have student loan debt, I'm going to have credit card debt, I just have to live with the fact that this is what's going to happen. But when we make that concession in our lives, we callous ourselves over to the idea that there can be financial freedom, and then maybe we don't actually reach for it. Exactly. So what we want to urge you to do, as we suggested in the introduction to the show, because so many in our community don't know exactly how much they're paying in credit card interest rates, we urge you to download the credit card interest rate reality check at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 164. You might have heard us say this before, but when David and I had $51,000 in credit card debt, we calculated using this formula, we calculated how much we were spending in credit card interest payments. And we found out we were spending about $10,000 a year just for the privilege of having credit card debt. Now, right. what would you do with $10,000 a year? I mean, we would go on, on a bunch of vacations. But think about it. If you enjoy going to Fire Island every weekend of the summer, that would be done much easier if you actually had $10,000 of cash to spend as opposed to putting them in your credit card. Or you really do want to get that Subaru that everyone else has. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have a healthy you down have payment. A huge, yeah, you could potentially have that, Subaru. have that down payment. That's several vacations to Puerto Vallarta a year. If clothing is your thing, and that's fine if, if that's your thing, just what could you buy with $10,000 of cash a year? Right. You could redo most people's wardrobes. Right. Right. So just uh, you know, most of us don't realize the cost of our debt and how it's actually detracting from our quality of life and actually increasing our financial security. If we can make those credit card interest payments or interest rates go away, you free yourself up. It's almost like getting, for us, it was like getting a $10,000 raise. And if you went into your boss's office tomorrow and they were giving you a $10,000 raise, you'd be elated. You probably would go on a week vacation immediately. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing is that you and I now realize that 
since we have been living debt free and have that money back in our lives, we realize that financial security and living debt free is a better way of life. It's a better way of life than living with financial insecurity and living with consumer debt that just keeps on increasing and increasing and increasing. If we didn't make the choice, we would never have experienced that. And I think that I can see that so many in our community, we were there too, but so many in our community just haven't taken the time to stop and think, what would life be like? What would life be like if I didn't have this debt? Ask yourself that. What would your life be like if you didn't have your credit card debt, if you didn't have your student loan debt, if you didn't have uh, other forms of consumer debt? How much more security would you have? And then ask yourself, what are you willing to give up to get that? You know, I kind of think about a, a lot of us love to cook, right? But we also live in a very instant society. We want it and we want it now. That's why we go to fast food. That's why we go to quick casual because we want to eat that food and we want it now because we're hungry and we want to satiate that feeling. But when you take the time to shop for high quality ingredients, nutritious food, and then, (laughs) well, no, just high quality ingredients, and then you prepare and make a really good meal, and then you sit down either with your spouse or your friends and family and you enjoy it and everyone talks about it. That's just a micro example of what it will be like for you to take the time to start figuring out how to make financial security and a debt-free life a way of life rather than living with financial insecurity and debt as a way of life. Right. And you have to believe that financial security and a life without debt is a possibility because it is. But unless you actually believe that, taking the steps to actually get there will never probably happen. And, And I will say... For those of you who are listening, who are saying to us, well, yeah, but you're two cis gay white men, I'm going to call bullshit on it because there are transgender men and women who are living a debt-free life. There are bisexual people who are living a debt-free life. There are African-American lesbians who are living a debt-free way of life. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with the decisions you make and the way you think about yourself and what you deserve. Exactly. We know a lot of people in many different demographics and micro-demographics who are living a debt-free life. Yeah. So, husband. Yes. What is number three? <laughs> and now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. So number three is something that we are begging people in our community to do. We're begging you to do this. This is the reason why we have our podcast. We're begging you to start incorporating talking about money in your life. If we don't talk about it, if we don't think about it, it doesn't exist. It just won't happen. You know, I think that's, I think of many examples, but I think of the kids, you know, when you're a little kid and you really, really, really want something, especially like if at the grocery store and you want candy, you see these kids who do this all the time and they throw a temper tantrum. But I think about just 
let's say you want something for your birthday or you're, you're a kid and you want something for your birthday or for Christmas. What do you do? You just constantly remind mom and dad, I want this, 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 right? But if you didn't say anything about it, if you didn't talk about it, your parents wouldn't know. Well, the same thing with a financially stable life. Incorporating and talking about money in our lives, whether it's simple tools, a blog post you read, a podcast episode you listened to. If you don't talk about it, that knowledge doesn't get incorporated into your life. If you don't share it, it can never go beyond you. I'll call people out right now. If you aren't sharing what you know, you're a selfish person. If you're not sharing the knowledge and you're not sharing the things that you have learned, you actually are inhibiting our community from improving itself financially. We get pretty passionate about this because we're so frustrated and saddened by the fact that so many in our community have given up financially. Exactly. And there's such an opportunity. I mean, so if you know of a coupon that you like using, share that with your friends and family. If you know of a way to get cheaper top surgery, share that with other people who might want top surgery. If you know of a financial advisor who is elated to work with you because you are LGBTQ, share that with your other friends so that they can connect with that financial advisor. We need to start having these discussions similar to what other demographics in the United States, the discussions that they're having, um, so that we can start to improve ourselves financially. No, not every piece of advice or every success that we have applies to every single person, but People will self-select. They'll figure out what you share that works for them and start to make better financial decisions. We know that simply talking about money causes people to make better financial decisions that compound over time to produce massive results. We know this for a number of reasons. One, Dave and I have been at this for five years talking about money, and we have friends and family who have said, even though they don't necessarily engage with us on a day-to-day basis, they have told us that because we talk about money all the time, they've realized they've made better financial decisions in their day-to-day lives. And that's creating transformational financial change for them. We know from, as David talked about earlier, people in our credit card payoff course, because we have a weekly call with them and that call holds them accountable, they've everybody that comes to that call on a regular basis has told us that that's causing them to make better financial decisions in their day-to-day lives. So the combination of that with the progress that they're making with the credit card payoff course is allowing them to see that the hopes and dreams that they've outlined for themselves earlier on the course are actually within the realm of possibility. And then finally, you know, when David and I found ourselves in our $51,000 in credit card debt, we realized that we need to do something about that and that the only way we would be able to come up with a strategy to pay off our debt, to move out of that basement apartment and buy a condo in downtown Denver and to improve ourselves financially, the only way that we could do that was to start talking about our finances. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, if you are in a financial situation where you're not in debt and you are doing well financially, please remember that you as well have the opportunity to help other people in our community by just spreading knowledge of what you know, just talking about it. I'm not saying you need to give somebody a hot stock tip, but if you are investing in your 401k, talk about how you've been putting aside whatever the percentage is or how your employer gives you a match. Or if you are starting to think about alternative investments to the norm, talk about that. Just ask 
people that you're with? Have you ever invested in something different? I'm think starting to think about investing in real estate or in art or in antiques or something like that. If you start talking about it, it engages other people's minds with the idea that, oh, you're doing it. Maybe I can do it too. Or maybe I can learn something from this. It allows you to share your knowledge, but at the same time, you never know what you might get in return. And remember, it doesn't have to come from the same person. It can come full circle from someone else. I'll tell you, I know for sure many conversations on golf courses and many conversations in country clubs are centered around investing, growing wealth. And that's why it seems like the rich continue to get richer because it is an active discussion in their lives. Right. And we can't just focus on one side of our balance sheet. Yes, we can talk about money to help everybody get out of debt and to get into um, the black, but we also need to help people not only get into the black, but be able to grow their investments. And the more in our community who are financially secure, the more empowerment we have as individuals and within the community to be able to donate to the causes and to the people that are important to us, which is basically what the entire tour was about. We want to start getting our community talking about money so that we have the time and freedom and the money freedom to be able to donate to the, time, the people and the causes that are important to us so that we can continue to push for equality. Right. And I will say, if you're an individual and you're listening to this and you still feel like you're struggling financially, make the commitment to just integrate one more thing into your your week. You know, Thank you for listening to the podcast. We appreciate that. But make the commitment to integrate one more thing that maybe focuses on an area that you're struggling with. If you're not earning enough money, start reading articles or listening to podcasts that talk about how you can have a side hustle or how to get more money from your current job, how to improve your skills. You know, whatever the, the, the thing is that you're struggling with financially, go out and find some information. There's lots of free information out there. If you have a question about what you read, you can always email us. You can email us at media at debtfreeguys.com, or you can go on our contact section on our website and email us. We'll respond uh, to your question. Our goal is to help build a strong queer community. We want you to improve yourself financially because the stronger we are as individuals, the stronger we can be as a community. So there you have it. Now, if you feel alone about your feelings about money, know that you're not alone. There are a lot of individuals out there like you. But also know that financial insecurity and debt, especially credit card debt, doesn't have to be a way of life for any of us. We can change it. So we want to encourage you to please start talking about queer money. Our community wants to and desperately needs to talk about it. But we just need some courageous individuals to step up and start the conversation. Are you willing to be one of them? Finally, find out just how much your credit card debt is costing you by completing the credit card interest rate reality check. So many of us have no clue what our credit card debt is costing us, both in terms of dollars and quality of life. So download the credit card interest rate reality check at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 164. Thanks again for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you with you next week. To learn more about how our sponsor, Capital One, is reimagining their local spaces and experiences to have banking better fit your life, 
visit www.capitalone.com and follow them on social at Capital One Cafe.